This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90 plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. When we started with funky sites, we thought, well, okay, easy, in two years we will be on the market. You cannot imagine how wrong we were. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Olga, a very much welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure of mine. You are the co-founder and CEO at AgroSustain, a one-stop shop solution for biological plant protection. And before we talk about your company, I want to start with your personal background. You actually originally come from Russia and then came to Switzerland for the first time to do your PhD. So what was it about that was so appealing to you in Switzerland? I think the nature. <laughs> Good one. Because when I was searching for a PhD, I mean, nature is indeed very important because I like to do a lot of outdoor activities. I mean, there was a number of countries, which of course I was looking for. The main selection I mean, for me, it was, of course, a project on which I would like to focus because when you're doing a PhD, it's um, quite a long and dedicated work. In my case, it was five years of research. So if you do not like a place, it's a bit hard and less motivating to stay. Mm. Whereas when, I remember when I came for my interview in Switzerland and I saw this beautiful, first I saw National Lake, which was super transparent blue. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, you also had other great projects I could imagine, especially in the US, for example. So from a research perspective, what was then giving you the, the slight advantage towards Switzerland? To be fair, I never applied to the US. I always okay. wanted to stay in Europe. Oh, mm -hmm. let's say closer to home. So I was right. more thinking between Germany, Belgium, France and Switzerland. Yeah, fair point. Then you've also said before that your mother always told you that you were actually not cut out for research and eventually then also quit research. So was your mom right after all? <laughs> Apparently, yes. I mean, I still <laughs> believe research is very important because it's not only being in a lab that makes you a researcher, but what is very important, it actually helps you to develop analytical capabilities because mm -hmm. you always need to understand what went wrong, why something doesn't work, and to find an alternative solution. And I think this was a key learning for me during my whole PhD, which is applicable in our everyday life, of course. Right. And what was then the, the point where you actually thought, hey, now it's the right time to quit research and to jump into entrepreneurship or ask uh, differently? I cannot say where... I quit research. I finished my PhD and yeah. then I was like, okay, I'm done with that thought. Mm -hmm. I knew that staying in academia was not something that for me sounded very exciting. So at the end of my PhD, I decided to try to see what's actually around there. And as a researcher, you usually see only two roads, one called 
stay in science, be a professor, or in other roads, say, go to large corporates, they are earning a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And no one actually told about entrepreneurship. Uh, but then I had a chance to attend business entrepreneurship courses at EPFL, and this was for me a mind opener. That was the turning point, so to speak. Correct. Yes. And so then this third way opened up. Do you also have any entrepreneurs in the family that sort of motivated you to pursue that path? Or was it really the course at EPFL that opened that way for you? I think it was really the course. No. I mean, it's really great when you have a role model that you can look at mm -hmm. and to follow. I did not have one in my family, but it does not mean you cannot do it and you can always find another role model for yourself if you need one. Exactly. And then in 2018, you actually founded AgroSustain. And it was, of course, also linked to your PhD research. So can you talk a bit more about how you then chose your focus and how you emerged from your PhD to launching your own company? Sure. So during the PhD, there was another changing point when after approximately two and a half years, I remember I came to my PhD supervisor and I told him, look, I like the project you gave me, but maybe it's better if we can focus on something a bit more applied because I, for me, it was more motivating, let's say, to wake up and to go to work. And um, my PhD supervisor was quite supportive on this matter. So we slightly redirected the project. And I think since then, I felt much more motivation and inspiration, let's say, to work on this work, on that. And actually, that's how the idea came. And then the entrepreneurship courses just said, okay, we have two ways. One, to have a paper based on what you are doing, or to, for example, go and to first file a patent and then to provide yourself an opportunity to make something out of that more on commercial side. And how did that development process then look like? I know first you had the paper, basically you had the no, research. No, I first had the patent. Oh, okay. Sure. Fair point. So you first had the patent and sure. then you still had to build a business around that. So how do you build a, a product that you can sell that you can also have a company around it from your patent? So for me, the company is not only about patent, but it's also about people. So I think one of the core and most challenging things is to have a people around you who can actually assist you and help you to make your dream come true. And these people should also share your values. That's exactly why you usually start working with co-founders and then you're building the core team, right? So I should say we were very lucky having a team that shares the values and we are really working like um, one organism. So you can see that people are super dedicated to the work. And talking about people, your co-founder is also your husband. Correct. Did you meet at university or how did you meet your husband and co-founder? We met at the university when I was doing my PhD and he had his research group. So we spoke, we, he was more in ecological background, I was in bio, plant biology, so very similar, we could definitely understand each other. And I think we were always sharing very much the same values. So it was quite obvious for us that when I told him maybe we should do a startup, he was quite motivated about it. So that was quite a, an easy decision for you to start a company together. Correct. And who else actually complements your team? I know beyond the founders, there's usually a whole other set of key roles, key people. So who are the other key people that you have on your team? Right now we are 12 people. So in management we have four and the other two people are much more coming from corporate background. 
who have a lot of business development experience and these are the people who made the mistakes, who have a lot of experience in the field and who can actually help to commercialize a product and find the right way for entering the market. Great. Often we hear that it can be difficult switching from a corporate environment to a startup environment because they both function quite differently. Was that a challenge for you when you hired those two additional management positions? Oh, these people are super experienced, you know. So right. I think they totally made their mind and they knew exactly what they wanted. Okay, so that was also probably easier than it looks from the outside. Sure. Now, let's also talk about the exact problem that you solve. So what is it actually that you do with Agra Sustain? You know, why you are such a game changer in the industry? I mean, we are developing biological and natural crop protection solutions to, first of all, reduce the waste of food. But when we are talking about food waste, it's not only one problem. It's actually a combination of much smaller factors. So let's talk about molds which are present in the fields and also that can impact our food during the long storage of transportation. So it's number one issue and this is why we are building a pipeline of biological fungicides and our first product actually, which is coming from my PhD, is currently undergoing field trials in collaboration with Agroscope in, in the region in Shenzhen. And in parallel, we are also basically building, um, we build it already, and biological and natural coatings that help to extend the shelf life of fruits and vegetables after the harvest. So. This is a product of which we are quite proud of because we're actually preparing for our commercial lunch as of 1st of March with one of our Swiss partners and then with first extension in German and French markets. And how do you have to imagine that if I'm not, you know, from the field, from the area of expertise as you are, how does your coating application work? Application is quite easy. You can either spray it or you can just put it in water and it's called buffing and then your coating is there. And what is very important is that it's invisible, that it does not smell. So actually it does not create any concerns for people. But what it does, it makes a very, very thin barrier around the fruit and the fruit reduces its respiration. So when it's reducing its respiration, it's a bit like if it's falling asleep and usually people tell us you should sleep a lot to look fresh and young and it's exactly the case for fruits. I like that analogy that's a that's a good one to remember. I hope it's gonna stay in your mind. (laughs) Absolutely so often we also talk about the timing of course you had your patent that you that you got so that also allowed you to build the company were there any other market trends or shifts why the timing was right in 2018 to get started with your company? I think the timing is right is when you're ready for it and when you see that there is a demand on the market. So I think now, at least in Europe and US, we see a lot of trends for eating more healthy, more sustainable and etc. So when you're going to potential clients and tell them, okay, we have biological product which is compliant with organic labels, everyone wants it. So this was easy from that perspective. What is hard is to really develop this product and to put it on the market and to show that it's not toxic, that it can undergo all these certification studies. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second because that's a huge challenge that you face there. I also quickly want to address the, the test of the market. So we saw, you saw the, the shift in the market, you know, people want to eat more organically, more healthy. So how do you then test your product into the market? Because 
although that shift is happening, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the people who ultimately buy your product are also ready to actually purchase it. So how do you test and get a feel for the market? I mean, in terms of our coating, for example, the way we convinced our first clients to use it was that we told them, okay, guys, do you have fruits where, or vegetables where you're losing a lot during long storage transportation? I said, yes, that, 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 that. And we say, okay, if this is your problem, what are your current solutions? So, of course, I mean, let's be honest, we are not the only ones on the market, right? So we tell them, do you want to compare it with your, the solutions you're currently using? And in this case, they would usually say yes or no, or they would not not use anything yet so it's even more interesting and then we are doing proof of concept basically with them when we are coming to their premises and going through the whole supply chain together and then we are comparing a group which would not be coated with our solution and based on that the client decides and I guess then you'll also have very strong numbers to back up your case. Absolutely. And the numbers are coming actually from the client because it's the client at the end of the day who validates all your results. Right. And in that case, who are your typical clients? Are the, 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 the large resellers? Is it the producer itself? Who are your clients who eventually buy your product? Actually, the whole supply chain. Because when you look at the food, right, it's a very much global business. You can have your avocado growing in Peru, and then a few weeks later, it's already in a port somewhere in Rotterdam, and then it's coming to Switzerland. So if you're thinking about applications, there is a number of potential ways where you can do it. We always say that the place where they just harvest it is the best one because it helps to provide you the longest protection. But let's say in case there is some issues, the wholesalers who are already getting the fruits after all this long transportation in Europe, let's say, can still do application in their own premises and still have additional value. And how does your business model look like in that regard? Do you charge the traditional subscription fee, as you know it, from software companies, or do you pay per application of your product? How do we, do we have to imagine your business model? We are very traditional. We are selling our coating, and they're paying per kg of the coating. Simple and efficient. Yes. Nothing innovative on this side, sorry. Not yet. I mean, who knows what you will come up in the future. Sure. So we also talked about the certification briefly. That sounds like a huge challenge to solve. So please walk us through that process and where you currently stand. Sure. So when we started with fungicides, we thought, well, okay, easy. In two years, we will be on the market. You cannot imagine how wrong we were. I remember we first identified a company who could assist us potentially in obtaining the certification. And as they told us, guys, sit and hold tight on your chairs. And he said, why? <laughs> and they said, now he'll tell you how long it takes and how much it costs to register your product. And we were very shocked that day because we learned that it takes, in best case scenario, between five to seven years to put a fungicide on the market. Wow. And that depending where you want to register it, in best case, it might cost you, let's say, around 10 million. But it's like really the best case. And if you don't run too many studies in the field as well. So but that's insane. Yes. But honestly, from one side, I like it because it means what we are eating is at least went through some approvals and we are sure, sure that at least in the dosage we are consuming it, it should not be highly toxic for us. Yeah. But still, for you as a startup, that's a huge roadblock, right? So what, what did you do about that? I mean, we were shocked. <laughs> but then I think... If you really believe in it, and if you have a good investors behind you, mm -hmm. you can definitely overcome this obstacle. But from another hand, I also believe that 
you still need to talk to your clients and to see what else they require because maybe sometimes there will be some other solutions that you can provide them on a shorter term that can help you to already start generating some revenue and then you can come up with your big vision of the fungicide later on. So that's why you then started with coating first and are now working on the fungicide part. Still, I imagine if you have to invest 10 millions into the certification process, I mean, you also have to take on quite some funds from investors to make that happen, to be able to finance that. At the same time, you also don't want to give up too much equity at the too early stage. So how do you balance that part? Because that's a very difficult problem to solve, I could imagine. It is, but... What you did not mention, we still have a lot of grants and awards in the ecosystem, which are great help because for investors, it's of course a high risk investment, especially if you say, okay, I'm going to be a sustainable investor, it's great, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't know whether he can make any cash out of it in the next six to eight years. So I understand them very well. And I think this is where we can get a lot of backups for grants because we can do the first little proof of concept here and there to deviate a bit the risk let's say and then it can Mm -hmm. potentially attract investors and to make them feel a bit more comfortable so in that regard you you are looking for signs to show traction before actually having the full certification in place to build the trust and also a good case in the end of course we also did a few first toxicological studies just to show that we can undergo the certification process of course and that helped Fantastic. I think you've raised about eight and a half million in total so far. So beyond the certification, what have you actually used the funds for? Well, I mean, first of all, we have two products, right? So we have our natural fungicide. It was a lot of work, of course. And with coating, we developed the coating. And now we even set up our own production facilities, which we are quite proud of. So now we are really preparing for commercial lunch. And with all the marketing expenses, 8.5 doesn't sound a lot at all. (laughs) <laughs> the money can uh, be gone Fly. pretty fast, right? Exactly. Was it difficult for you to raise funds to find investors or was that easier than expected based on your patent and the track record that you already built? I mean, it's a whole time job to find fundings mm-hmm. and to attract people. Plus, it's never only one time talk and then they give you a million, right? It's right. like... In some cases, we were talking to people for over a year and first time they would tell us no, and for next round, they would be more convinced and they would participate with us. And in other cases, they were convinced a bit quicker, <laughs> but it's never the miracle that they come and give you cash. Yeah, that's the, the dream that is just not meeting reality. At least I didn't meet it yet. Not yet. Maybe in the future, who knows? <laughs> However, what you've actually met is based on your innovative technology. You actually already got some acquisition offers from other companies. So far, you declined all of them. Isn't that something difficult to do, to say no to an acquisition offer, which might already change your life in terms of potential financial returns that you could make? I mean, it was not a lot of offers. It was more in the quite beginning when you started to mention like the sustain. And back then, it was very early. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on the timing, right? And when you're sure that you're ready, that it's also could be profitable for your investors. Right. And it depends yeah. a lot on the vision of the founders and the management team. Yeah, so they were offers, but uh, not the, the right ones yet. Absolutely. 
And another thing I also briefly would like to talk about, we often hear that people say a co-founder relationship is like a marriage. In your case, that is actually is true. So you have both, right? So how do you make this work? Is this something that can be challenging sometimes because you're 24-7 talking about business? Or is it actually the perfect setup that you would recommend to anyone who has this opportunity at hand? I think it's very much couple-specific. I mean, I remember when I started, my husband was not yet very much involved. And then every evening he was like, where were you? And I'm like, at a startup event. And then next day, where were you? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. So, and then I realized that for him, it was important to be also part of all of that. And that's why we decided to work together. But maybe if you would be CFO or <laughs> another kind of officer, it would be harder because then we would interact much more. But as a chief technology officer, he has his love, he has his teams, they talk about it. We have a few times meetings on the latest achievements, but it's not like, everyday discussion. Right. So you also have your clear roles and separate the tasks to to also make it work. Yeah. Great. Is there also like, we also had people on on the podcast who had a similar setup. So they were also romantic partners, but also co-founders and business partners, therefore. And some of them had very strict rules where they said, if we cross this bridge on our way home, business talk is over. We can't talk about business anymore. Do you also have any tips or, you know, rules in place that you can recommend to listeners? We have separate offices. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> what would happen if, if you had to share an office? I don't think it's going to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> great. Okay. Listen to that. Have separate offices. That's the number one tip. That's great. So um, if we also look at the past few years and months, you have been incre- incredibly successful with the technology development. You're just about to enter the market at scale, basically. So what is next for you? What do we have planned for the next few months and potentially years? Well, I have a feeling we're just starting now because before it was mainly research and development, like you're saying, it's quite exciting. But then again, your investors and your clients are like, when are you going to be on the market? When we can have a revenue or like when you're yeah. going to have a product launch? And now we are finally like, okay, guys, it's not only talk anymore. Now we can really prove what we are doing and we can show that AgriSustain reaching the commercial scale, which for us is a great achievement. So now it's really all about scaling up. Amazing. And I wonder also on a personal level as a founder, you know, when it takes so long to develop a product, to also obtain the certification that is necessary, etc. How do you, you know, keep active and also stay positive along that marathon? And it's not a sprint, it's really a marathon in, in your case, especially. How do you take good care of yourself and also keep your motivation high? Well, I think like you're absolutely correct as said, in the beginning when you're just starting with a startup, you are more like, okay, it's going to be quick. I'm going to do this, that, that. And then very quickly, you need to realize that it's really going to take much more time than what you were anticipating. And what is very nice with startup at the same time, so many things happening in such a short time that you are never really bored. You're learning something new every day of your life. And I think this is something that actually gives you drive to continue. So it's really the learning curve that keeps you going. Yes. Amazing. I like that a lot. I think that's probably really the, the real driver behind many, many entrepreneurs. I mean, Building you're and learning. developing yourself, first of all, all the time. You're checking. I mean, you need to be super agile 
if you want to be successful and not to be too focused only on your first idea like what happened in our case but to be also open enough to hear what your clients also want and to adjust to the demand and i think this is where you can sometimes say okay you wake up one day and you know that you're gonna do this thing and then someone calls you and everything is totally switched and if you would be so conservative and say no i'm gonna do what i plan to it's gonna be much harder absolutely yeah and we also wonder on a personal level what do you have planned next for you olga as a person beyond the business life well i mean i have a little boy to grow now <laughs> So wow, it's yeah. it's a lot of entertainment also on the personal side. That's certainly uh you have busy days I can imagine. Yes, and also busy nights sometimes. <laughs> of course, yeah. Great. So the second last part that we want to talk to you about is do you have some recommendations about resources or gadgets that can be books, blogs, podcasts, whatever you can recommend to our listeners? Do you have anything that you can recommend to the audience today? You know, I think I'm really boring on that. <laughs> I love LinkedIn. <laughs> this is where I'm getting lots of news about startup and entrepreneurship. And of oh, course, great. I'm following some general news, and but nothing really special, sorry. But it's totally fine. I think uh, it's also good to see that there is no magic bullet or magic tool. So, Not for uh, me, at it's least. <laughs> just the basic things out there that we probably all use. Now, for the very last part, we have some rapid-fire questions for you. The first one, what's your favorite food? I think I like too many different foods. And I don't like to stop only on one because for me, it's also important to change a bit between like different traditional foods. I like Turkish, I like Indian, but I can also go for Brazilian. Nice. Zurich or Lausanne? Morsch. <laughs> Morsch, okay. <laughs> Why Morsch? Because it's close to home. <laughs> okay. Research or entrepreneurship? Both. The combination makes the dream team work. I think one cannot really be very efficient without another one if we talk about yeah. technological entrepreneurship. Absolutely. Social impact or profitability? I think you don't have to split. You try to combine both together. Absolutely. Because you still need to feed your team. True. Yeah. Actually, I think it's it's probably the, the best combination that you can combine both of them in in a in a business in a startup. Actually, I think that's the perfect place to have a positive impact on the world, but at the same time also, you know, giving people jobs. And I mean, we all need to eat somewhere, right? And to pay for our apartments. Absolutely, Olga. Thank you so much for joining us. All the best for the future and lots of success. You too. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.